0: Uh, Tonight, we are going to journey onwards in Psalm 8. And the message tonight I've entitled, Look Unto Praise. And as we go through the Psalms, I want to just give us that friendly reminder to still prayerfully consider your own prayer and worship life. To truly seek the Lord's heart on that. To see where you are already going through the seven Psalms we have personally I've been refined and convicted and growing in so many areas through his grace and mercy. And I just pray the same for you. So again, going back to that, revisiting it and remembering to take the scripture God's putting in front of you in this season of life, in this very moment. And as we talked about Sunday, seek why he has you in that right now. Seek and have him search your heart. That you can see the manna, the lessons, the things he wants you to glean. The wisdom, the encouragement for whatever you're going to. The manna for every single day from what he's laying before you in his word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for another opportunity to come together in your word, Lord. Thank you for another opportunity, Lord, to serve you and serve the tender people of this church, Lord God. Holy Spirit, please fill me with your power. Help us to focus solely on you right now, Lord, and give us what you would have for us on this day to be closer to who you need us to be for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, last week, Psalm 7, let's see how you did prayerfully pondering some things that were put upon you at the end of that as we learned from David amidst false accusations. So one, did you ponder if you've ever been falsely accused? Or spoken ill of by someone? Was there anyone that you needed to forgive? And again, that reminder, it could have been years ago, but being here in that moment last week, the Holy Spirit brought conviction, and it's a tough one. And it might be one of those things where that conviction came, and you felt it while you were here, and then you felt it a little while you were talking to people, then it got a little softer when you got to the fellowship hall, and then by the time you walked out, you were like, oh, I'll get there at some point, I'm going to go to Yo Pop." Now here's the thing that we need to remember. Matthew 6, 14, 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is important, and we need to take the time to go there. We need to seek forgiveness. And when it comes to false accusations, there's often a lack of forgiveness on our part. A lack of saying, I forgive you. So that reminder, search your hearts and get to that place of full forgiveness. And sometimes you have to forgive yourself. That's something when I get the blessed opportunity to go to the prisons, when forgiveness comes up, reminding those men, you got to forgive yourself too. There's depth to forgiveness that's essential. Now, other thing, how do you handle false accusations that come against you? And we looked and we saw, is your trust in God alone, Christ alone, or do you pray with your lips but your heart is conniving how you're going to take care of it on your terms and get it done? So think about that. And lastly, do you have a heart like David, that, oh, Lord. Remember how we studied that, oh, Lord, that vowel alone, the oh, the pain, the feeling, the emotion that can come in that. Are you trusting? Are you honestly pleading? Are you surrendered to God? Are you leaving the trials, or in this case, the false accusations, in His hands and praying to Him? And then are you taking it and turning it to praises for who He is, the Lord Most High? In this psalm last week, we saw a total call for surrender, to trust Him, to rest in His sovereignty. Now, again, reminder, these charges that I throw at the end, they're for you to dig in deeper. And we talked about that Sunday. It's for you to dig in deeper into his word. That you don't just stay with it while we're sitting here for 45 to, well, 50 minutes. I go a little long sometimes. But that you take it and you meditate on it. And my prayer also that you seek the Holy Spirit to reveal more areas of conviction or confirmation along your journey of sanctification. Because that's what we look for on that journey. We grow through conviction and confirmation, conviction and confirmation, and we keep going. Now tonight, Psalm 8, again, the title of this message is Look Unto Praise. Now we shift from a few of these psalms that we've had. We've been in lament land for the last few weeks. And we're shifting now to a joyful praise, a hymn of praise. Some will refer to Psalm 8 as a nature psalm or a creation psalm, similar to Psalms 19, 29, 65, and 104. 19, 29, 65, 104 for my note takers. That all points so clearly to the splendor and glory of God's creation. Now, this psalm is also referred to as a messianic psalm, and we're going to see that in a portion of this that points so clearly. To his beautiful King Jesus' reign as our second Adam. And we will see now in the title of the psalm, we get information to the chief musician. We've talked about that, we've seen it in different psalms, and I have to say it every time. Who wants to be in Jesus' choir when he's the conductor? I do. That's going to be cool. Then we also see on the instrument of Gath. Now, on the instrument of Gath, there's some uncertainty about the exact meaning there. In Hebrew, it means al And what that is, is it's winepress. So it may identify a vintage tune. Some think that when the Gath is, is seen in that, it refers to a tune commonly sung there, commonly sung in the area of Gath, And that's going outside of the Hebrew meaning with winepress. Now, some others will point to it as a song of Obed-Eden, the Gittite, in whose house the Ark rested. Some will point to it as a song over Goliath of Gath. The term we'll see again in Psalm 81 and 84. Both of those psalms, similarly to this one, have joy-filled character within them. So ultimately, we know when we see Gath as the instrument, we see a hymn of joy, we see a hymn of delight, we see a hymn of praise. The author of this hymn, um, of this psalm, is David Now, yet again, a reminder, another chance to see one individual's heart of worship and prayer to the Lord. We've seen how he laments. We've seen his heart for repentance. Now we're going to see his heart for joyful praise. And we have to ask, what about you? How do you look unto praise? How do you praise the Lord when trials come? when tribulations abound, when all looks dark and gloomy and you don't feel like praising, how can you learn from this psalm to always look unto praise? Because through his creation, when we ponder his creation, we always have a reminder and a reason to praise. We're going to be looking at nine short verses, yet we're going to learn through these nine verses how to shift off of us while simultaneously looking at our relation and insignificance to God the Creator. And from that, we look unto praise. We don't look unto circumstance. We don't look unto defeat. We don't look unto lies of the enemy. We look unto praise. Praise of who? God on high. Verse 1. O Lord, our Lord. Right there, O Lord, our Lord. Beautiful opening to this hymn of praise. David starts with a covenant name, the personal name, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, and then the relationship of that personal God to his people, our Lord. God, our master. God, our ruler. Personal relationship, God, our king. Then we read, how excellent is your name in all the earth. David now points to God's full power in this phrase. He doesn't limit or think of God as only the God for the people of Israel. No, he is God over all. His name is excellent in all the earth. He is above all. Then we read, who have set your glory above the heavens. Earth, as David knew it, was not enough to limit, was not enough to measure, was not enough to contain the glory of God. For his glory is above the heavens. We're in 2023. When we think about creation, we've got a lot more resources. Think of the pictures you've seen of planet Earth. Think of the pictures you've seen of space, of galaxies, beyond galaxies, billions of stars. All of that wonder that is His, that is created by Him, and His glory is above all of that, beyond what we can imagine. Our Lord. He acknowledges that there is one God. He made it all, and He is above all. Now there's something special to tie in with us who just finished John chapter 1. Because if you think about God's glory, we know at David's time, the glory of God dwelt with Israel in the tabernacle and in the temple. But recall John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the revelation of King Jesus, Messiah come. The word become flesh. The glory is revealed in the work and person of Jesus Christ. So for us with the counsel, full counsel of the word of God, the word of God that we get the privilege and joy and honor to read, this first verse has even more depth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Saints, Truly memorize that verse. Write that verse on your hearts. We serve God personally. We have Messiah, King Jesus come. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. All three present at Genesis 1 creation. All three present at this moment. All three present always and the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who we serve. That's who we commune with. Look unto praise. in that one verse, God's transcendence. How often do you ponder his greatness and his glory? Truly, when was the last time you sat down, looked up at the sky, sunrise or sunset, a night filled with stars, and just pondered how great and how good and how glorious our God is? Not your issues, not your woes, not your trials, not your excitement, just looking unto him. Because in our fast paced culture, we forget to slow down and behold the glory of God. It's all around us. We walk out of here, the sky's up in the sky. It's there, it's always there. But we forget to behold His glory and look unto creation. We're glued to screens, we're glued to the things that must get done. I have to get this done, I have to get that done. And we forget to slow down, look up, and look unto praise. Realize He created it, He is glorious. He is magnificent. He is Alpha and Omega. He is. Of our King, we read in Colossians 1:15 to 17, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him And for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. Made through him. And for him. Remember that we are made for our heavenly king. Verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. You have ordained strength because of your enemies. That you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Out of the mouth of babes. And nursing infants. Think about a little baby or a nursing infant. How are they? Besides cute and adorable and coochie koochie koo how are they? Helpless. They rely solely on mommy or daddy, mommy and daddy, to meet all their needs. They can't navigate this world without mommy or daddy. They're weak. Yet, out of their mouths, David praises in this, that God ordained strength. They are used to silence the enemy and the avenger. David is praising the powerful God of creation who could do whatever he wants, who can take the weak to conquer giants. He knew this personally. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, and this is a story we all too often know, but I think too many times we reference stories that we know in the Bible, and we don't take the time to go back and actually reread it. we're going to take a moment to go back. 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to start in verse 20. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then, as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Clearly, stature, presence, they want nothing to do with this. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine, and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David and said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So he's getting put down right now. And continuing, David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Think of who he is. And he's going and saying, I got this. I can do this. And he actually doesn't say, I can do this, because he points to the Lord, as we'll see. 33, and Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth, a.k.a. you little weakling, you can't do this. What are you thinking? But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. So he points to his experience. He points to his testimonies of what? Moreover, verse 37, David said, the Lord, L-O-R-D, personal relationship, Who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And his weakness and his young and his youthness. Who did he lean on to fight when those things had to come? The strength of the Lord. Who delivered? There's one deliverer. The Lord. Who does he say is going to do it this time? The Lord. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Nothing else to lose, right? So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put on a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Man has a way that they say he has to go into battle. He has a way of relying on the Lord's strength. I don't need all a man's ways in telling me what to do. I'm, just, I'm taking this off. I'm just going how I know to go. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistines came, and drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. If I were David, that's when I would be like, all right, then I don't know what I'm going to do now. But he again, who is he leaning on? The Lord. 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, of whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Powerful verse we all should remember. The battle is the Lord's. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth." So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and the, struck the Philistine and killed him but there was no sword in the hand of David therefore David ran stood over the Philistine took his sword drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it That's an experience David had now do you not think that he might remember that as he's saying Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. He knows what it is to lean on the strength of the Lord. He knows what it is to be empowered by God, faith in God, to silence an enemy even unto death. As we face storms and we face the giants of our lives, do you remember to look at the evidence within your own life? Do you sit and stay where the enemy wants you, thinking that you are too weak to overcome, too feeble to overcome, too impossible to overcome? Or, in your weakness, do you remember the strength you have through the blood and power of Jesus Christ? His empowerment, as we saw also with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the power you have? Now, Jesus would also quote this verse in Matthew chapter 21. We have the triumphant entry just occurred. He clears the temple and his enemies desire to silence children praising him. And in Matthew 21, 15 to 17, Matthew 21, 15 to 17, we read, one more page back, but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he he had did and the children crying out in the temple and saying hosanna to the son of david they were indignant and said to him do you hear what these are saying and jesus said to them yes have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise then he left them and went out of the city of bethany and he lodged there he says children sing unto me children come unto me have did you not know the power that they have And this, I think for us as a church, Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, where we are right now with school getting started, with our youth getting ready to go back to school, this is a time to remember to pray for the youth of this church. To pray that they sing praises unto the Lord. To pray that amidst everything that we see going on in the world, our children and our youth would be used mightily for God's glory. To mightily stand for truth. To mightily be bold enough and say, culture says to do it this way, I'm going to do it God's way. And for the youth, you gals that are here and guy, when the world says, why are you doing it this way? I'm doing it God's way. And not backing down from that. Even if it means people pick on you. Even if it means it's hard. Even if it means tears are shed. You don't back down from what the Lord calls you to do. And you glorify him in it. And you run the race for him with endurance because he wants your praise. And your life, youth, as a living sacrifice, gives that praise unto him. We'll talk more about that on Friday's Youth Night. As we look to this verse, we also see God using the weak to silence the enemy. And there's something we have to realize in that. Quit thinking I'm not good enough. Quit thinking God can't use me. The enemy wants to keep us in bondage of doubt, shame, and fear. And you've got to shift the doubt to faith. You've got to shift the shame to belief. And you've got to shift the fear to reverent, awe-filled fear that turns to loving obedience and obeying King Jesus. Paul offers comforting words for us in that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. God is limitless, so why place limits on how God can use you for his glory? Why place limits on who he can use for his glory? The beauty of the movement our church is part of, Calvary Chapel. Chuck Smith, in looking for the men that God would call to continue the work of the movement, wasn't looking for men that were picture perfect. He looked for men called by God, obedient to God, often flawed, often imperfect. And the more that I learn myself as I'm doing a dive, boy, did they have a list of flaws. And boy, is it comforting to me who has a list of flaws in a wild past. It is so comforting. But it's something for us to know. Because I'll tell you, shame tried to keep me from obeying God's call. We cannot let that happen. A quote from Chuck Smith on this that I like, God often goes to the gutter to find the recipient of his grace. He lifts him out, washes him, and transforms him, making him into a child of God fit for his kingdom. That is God's grace. That's the amazing grace we sang about tonight. That is the amazing grace. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. When I consider, consider there is thoughtfully contemplate on, thoughtfully look at. When was the last time you looked thoroughly at the moon, the stars, the work of his fingers? Now remember, David didn't have Google.com. David didn't have Samsung iPhones, because they are Uh, Samsung phones, because the iPhone is not as good as a Samsung phone. I hope you're listening, Pastor David. Uh, He didn't have the ability to zoom in and see beyond. David only had the naked eye. And yet, with just the naked eye that he was able to see, he was able to consider the heavens, to consider God's work. What about you? Again, when was the last time you got outside, looked at the stars, and just quietly pondered, God made all that. God made all of that. When I was looking at this, I remember one night a few weeks ago where we live, when there's a full moon, it's gorgeous. Our property, you can just see everything. And we have a, bed, a door out the bedroom. And we went out with Baldrick and we really should have been asleep. It was way too late, whatever. We go out and he's like, God made heavens and the earth. And I was just like, amen, little dude, he did. And we stood there. And it was a moment I will never forget. God made this. God made my bride. God made my son. God made us. And he actually cares about us. When we think of the grandeur of the world, the grandeur of the universe, and he actually cares about us. Look at verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? What is man? That you are mindful of him when we look to the grandeur the grand state of creation it reminds us of how tiny and insignificant we are when we look and ponder the galaxies the stars billions of years away and away and away of all these galaxies and stars we realize we're really just a little pile of ants running about we're a pile of ants here we go and yet God is mindful of us. And yet, God thinks about us. God cares about us. In this, David knows God cares about him. It's evident in the previous Psalms. It's evident in the moment of looking unto creation. David knew God cares. And this is an interesting thing to ponder where we get the whole word and we think about David. I say in this moment, David's able to look Beyond To look unto the Lord, unto praise. Imagine how it would have been if that night on the rooftop, instead of looking unto lust, he looked unto praise. What may have happened? Now God worked it all for good, but it is again a reminder for us when we have the whole word. We've seen the whole journey that David's gone through. And the moments when temptation comes. And the moments when that vice clicks and you want to take that hit. Or you want to do that thing that you know you shouldn't do. Stop. Look out to creation. Look unto praise. Remember how big God is, how little you are, and praise unto the king of kings. He says in the son of man, continuing this verse, that you visit him. We talk about the poetic elements we'll see in Psalms. This is a moment of repetition. He's saying the same thing two different ways. The son of man points to the humanity of mankind. And then, interesting, how the Holy Spirit works. Think of what we read on Sunday. The Son of Man, as we finished the beginning of John chapter 1. Again, pointing to that messianic bit that we'll see, but in this moment, pointing to the humanity of mankind. And if we think about Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light and it was good and God divided the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day and we go onward and onward and God, the God of creation, spoke creation into existence. How grand is our God? Very large and incomprehensible and limitless. And that's the God that cares about tiny us. That's the God that cares about you. That's the God that cares about me. How do you know? Read his word. We have the whole thing. And the further we read the word of God, we get to look to Jesus God coming in flesh as the son to take the wrath of sin on himself that we can be free, that we can be redeemed, that we can have Jesus as the ladder unto God as we saw at the end of John 1. Again, do we see it's beautiful when the Holy Spirit kind of links it all up for us to see we're studying right now Jesus coming, the preexistent Christ in the start of the gospel of John the son of man, becoming the ladder, Jacob's ladder. And now to see when we look to that creation that he created from the beginning, how we can sing praise unto him. Verse five, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now angels here in the Hebrew, it is Elohim meaning God. Yet when we look at the Septuagint, some other ancient translations in the Jewish tradition, it is translated as angels. So some will take this verse and say that David is saying man is just a little lower than God. But again, when we look at the majority of texts and when we look within bigger context of the Jewish tradition, it is angelic beings. That's where I land, angelic beings, angels. Either way, both are pointing to looking up. And it's the looking up that I think is the most important to us to think about. Because if you notice, he doesn't say, David doesn't write, he doesn't go, for you made him slightly above apes and gorillas and monkeys as evolutionists want us to believe. No, that's not how we were made. We were made from our heavenly father from up on high. That is how we were made from the father and God of creation. Then we then point to Messiah, King Jesus. And when we look at Hebrews and the author of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, when we look at his speaking of the position of Jesus, this passage is quoted. So if we turn to Hebrews 2, verse 5. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, where we are right now, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things, yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And then we go back to this past Sunday, John 151, and he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Messianic Psalm, pointing to Jesus, pointing to his humanity, pointing to his dominion. Now let's just read verses 6 through 8 of this psalm. And then we're going to dive into how that all ties together. Verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea. That pass through the paths of the seas. When we look at verses 6 through 8. We see dominion and authority and power being given over to man to rule over God's creation. Because guess what? God has an ordained order. We forget that in our culture, but God has an ordained order. In Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on earth. That was God's ordained order, that we would have dominion over things. Adam and Eve, sin creeps in. The sin nature continues. Noah and the ark comes Then in Genesis 9, we read, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on the beasts of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. God's intention is for man to rule over the earth and have dominion over. There's a design. Men are designed by God to preside, provide, and protect. Women are designed by God to help and glorify God as they do that. Two genders, one creator, God, one purpose, one way of living that He ordained. There's God's order. Yet it's never able to fully be realized because of what? Sin. Because of what? The sin nature. Because of what? The battle. Of flesh and spirit. Turn to Romans chapter 1. When we go there. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. From creation. The creation that we see that has us look unto praise. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged likewise, uh, the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. You see, when we think about how grand is, when we look to creation, when we look at where we are in this psalm, notice, there's a lot about man in the middle of this psalm. There's a lot about God's design for man, how and why he cares for us. There's a lot that we can see that God's original position intended for us at creation. Look at how he designed and ordered for us to live, to have dominion over all creation. Yet, Romans 1 shows us the flesh prevails, refusal of his authority prevails, Refusal of his design prevails. We feed the flesh and the struggle that began in the garden continues until King Jesus is on the throne. That's where Hebrews 2 that we looked at ties in. Because guess what? As the second Adam, the ultimate, the perfect, the sinless man, in Revelation we see that reign. The millennial reign when King Jesus reigns and then will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Jesus comes to complete God's design for man to have dominion. Because without Jesus coming, guess what? We, without the blessed hope, the design, the fulfillment can't happen. Because sin keeps getting in the way over and over and over and over again. And we have to in our culture, in the time that we're in right now, it's not tit for tat and going out with signs. God hates what you're doing. That's not what it's about. It's about looking unto creation. It's about reminding, look at the sky. Look at what you see around you. God created this. Do you know what that means? God created you. Read this. What we see from witnessing in John 1 this past Sunday. Point to the God of creation. Now, when we look at this, what does it mean for you and me? One, it means the things of this world that we're in bondage to, the things of this world that have dominion over us, and don't sit here and pretend you don't struggle with any sin, because we all do. Let's be real, folks. It can only be broken by one and one alone, King Jesus. Period. Jesus is the bondage breaker. Remember how David leaned on his faith in God. We have to lean on the bondage breaker and pray in his name, the one deliverer. It means that we aren't running around protesting tree huggers. That's not what I'm going to say. But it does mean we steward God's creation. It does mean we care for his creation. We care for the earth that our Lord God created. What does it mean? It means that while the enemy may have heavy influence, may rule... Jesus is the ruler, and we have the final victory and know that he has the final victory. And as such, it means we need to share the gospel with a heavy fire that people leave the bondage of Satan for true salvation and kingship and bond servanthood of King Jesus. In creation and through creation, when we ponder the splendor of it, we get to see God display. His presence, His creativity, His power, His wonder, His awesomeness, His perfection, His brilliance, His glory. And guess what? In Jesus, not only do we see it, but we experience His presence, His creativity, His power, His wonder, His awesomeness, His perfection, His brilliance, and His glory. Verse 9. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. The psalm ends with the same words it began with. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You see, when you look creation, when you look unto his design, when you look unto who you are in the midst of his design, when you look at his ordained order, when you look at his redemption through his son, when you look at his eternal reign to come in revelation, how can you not proclaim, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Look unto praise. Saints, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you are facing, I challenge you, praise King Jesus. We find it very easy to go to him with praise and thanksgiving when we're getting everything we want. But when we're in the midst of a trial and storm, when what is going on, it seems like everything that's wrong is going wrong, when the answer to a prayer is God's sovereign no, I challenge you, praise him. Look at his majesty. Remember, he uses the weak to silence the enemy. Recall in those moments, he is God creator who made the heavens and earth. Recall that he cares about you. Recall he designed us for dominion and rule over all things. And through King Jesus, we will have that dominion with him. Praise, sing out to the Lord and say how excellent is your name in all the earth. So for Psalm 8, what do we do this week? One, sing praise unto God. Over the next week, I challenge the people that are here, I challenge anybody who's listening, I want you to sing to Jesus in your own time and in your homes as you never have before. I want you to look up to the sky. I want you to remember he created the heavens and the earth. Remember he is sovereign King Jesus and praise. You get bad news, have a cry, then praise. You get good news, say hooray, then praise. Sing unto him like you never have. That's why we did Amazing Grace. It's one everybody knows. Sing it on repeat. Two, take time this week and get out in nature. Huh? Yes. Take time this week and get out in nature. We spend too much time behind screens, isolated in the culture of today. Get outside without a mask. Get outside Get some fresh air, and I want you to look to the sky, look to the sun, look to the moon, look to the stars, and realize God created this. Realize I'm a little ant in the midst of his creation. And realize Jesus gives you eternal access to God, the creator of heaven and the earth. Rejoice in that. And as you rejoice in that, And as you rejoice in that, Lincoln, as you're in creation with him saying, Lord, you created all this, pray for the souls who can't do what you're doing in that moment. Pray for the souls who can't say, Lord, you created all this because they don't know him. Pray for their salvation. Take a walk in the woods with the Lord and praise him and pray for souls to know him. Lastly, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger have you placed limits on how God can use you for his glory do you place limits on someone else thinking they don't fit the box that's made by man that's the man checklist man credentials or whatever to fulfill the calling God has on their lives do you in moments of weakness surrender as a helpless babe and cry out Abba father I need your strength daddy Abba Father, I need your strength, I need your leading, I need your guidance. Or do you try to muscle through on your own? Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Personal L-O-R-D. That's a personal relationship. Our Lord. Now, before you memorize that and say it, pulse check. Is he your Lord? Are you in the book of life? Do you know him? Have you surrendered all to him? I've done that. I have. So I can say our Lord. Don't say it yet. Before you say it, have you surrendered every nook and cranny? I don't know why I sounded British there. Have you surrendered every nook and cranny of your heart unto his lordship? That's a hard one. But it's one we have to do. What are you still holding on to? What are you still saying in your life I got this. What struggle do you have that you're still saying, Lord, I'll take care of it eventually. I'm sorry, I know I shouldn't do this, but I got this. Then you can really say, oh Lord, our Lord, to know full submission. The race we run towards eternity is one of constant refining by his fire. Realize that. And that's why we gotta be anchored in his word say it, his word, his spirit, his way. His word, his spirit, his way. That's the anchor we need to do this race. And amidst that race, he gives us a gift as those who know in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I remember when we did Genesis and Pastor David said, we spent a lot of time on that one verse. We learned a lot there. But it's a powerful thing to think. If you can't believe that, nothing else makes sense. But if we can believe that, Now that we've gone through this psalm we always have a reason to praise because we serve the God of in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So sing it out this week. Get into his creation and pray and pray for those who don't know him and search your heart on where there may be limits and how do you handle the moments of weakness. Do you say Abba Father or do you say I got it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can cry, Abba Father. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder to look unto creation that can move us to praise you. Lord, only you know what goes on in each and every single one of our lives, Lord. And Lord, we're reminded tonight what is man that you are mindful of him. Lord, you care about us. You think about us. but I pray that every single one of us can acknowledge that, can lay our burdens at the foot of the cross and can sing praise unto you, the God of creation, and worship you joyfully, Lord. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that you are on the throne. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of time to dwell in it. Lord, I pray you take the manna that you've given us each tonight, Lord, and help us to chew it fully that we would digest it unto glory for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night.